Hi, this is Marsha Brownlee, and you're listening to the Urban to Country podcast. Welcome to the Urban to Country podcast, a collection of inspiring and edifying conversations with amazing people. Our conversations cover everything from hunting and conservation to mindful living to how to be a good human. Basically, all the good stuff. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Urban to Country podcast. My guest this week is Marsha Brownlee, the program manager for Artemis Sportswomen. I don't want to give anything away because this was a truly fantastic episode, so we're just going to jump right in. However, before we do, a gentle reminder to rate, review, and subscribe if you like this podcast. It helps me to keep the lights on, and I really appreciate it. So, without further ado, enjoy this conversation with Marsha Brownlee. Welcome back to the Urban to Country podcast. In case you're wondering, yes, we are still at the Bozeman Conservation Convention. <laughs> it's been a blast so far. We're about halfway through day two, and I have the incredible opportunity to sit down with my friend Marsha, and she is the, okay, I'm get, I always get this wrong. I call you the exec, executive director because <laughs> that sounds badass, right. but what is your actual title with uh, Artemis? Program manager. Okay, so Marsha is the program manager for Artemis. And Marsha, why don't you introduce yourself to everyone and tell us what Artemis is. Yeah, my name is Marsha Brownlee. As Marcus said, I'm the program manager for Artemis. And Artemis is the National Wildlife Federation's initiative to engage women hunters and anglers in conservation. So our approach is really twofold. We create or we strive to create a community of sportswomen and to elevate the voice of women in the hunting and angling community or amplify it. Um, And then we also... Uh, create a culture of conservation um, and emphasize a conservation ethos in everything that we do and uh, support women in having the knowledge and the skills they need to be effective advocates for conservation. That is very cool. So let's back up for a second. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from originally? Okay, I I grew up in Michigan. Um, I was born and raised just outside of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, Went to Michigan State University, and then (laughs) who said that? Where did that come from? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yup, go Spartans. Um, And then I promptly left Michigan and lived seven years in Massachusetts, where I got my master's in education from Harvard Graduate School of Education. And then okay, I time out. How did I not know that you went yeah. to Harvard? That is very cool. Yep. What was that like? Oh God. Um, that it was, it was one of the most difficult, most, um, inspiring life-changing experiences I've ever had. You know, I grew up in rural Michigan, mm-hmm. um, middle-class working family, had no Ivy league aspirations. Uh, and I moved out to Massachusetts and, um, had a job that I didn't like, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, so I quit it um, without having a backup plan, um, which was terrifying. And so I, I started working as a temp at a temp agency that got me into the Harvard Graduate School of Education as a faculty assistant in a temp position. And then I was hired on permanently for that position. And then, you know, Harvard has a great um, policy where they allow employees to audit classes with the instructor's permission. So I started auditing a couple of classes. um, And then I uh, 
you know, I got over the fact that this wasn't something I could do and realized that, you know, if I wanted it badly enough and I worked for it hard enough, um, I, I was, I was my own kind of smart and I could do that too. So I ended up applying and matriculated, um, and learned a lot about myself, learned a lot about the world, um, learned a lot about education and, uh, yeah, it was, it was not something I ever set out to do, but it changed my life dramatically. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. And it comes through. That makes a lot of sense now because you are a great public speaker. You're a great, you have a way of distilling a topic down so it's very digestible for people. And that makes sense now that yeah. I know that that's part of your background. Yeah. Yeah. And so I worked for 15 years after. So after I, I graduated, I left Massachusetts and moved to Netherlands, Colorado, okay. which is this little hippie mountain town um, nice. west of Boulder. And I took a job as a preschool teacher, um, which is interesting because I, um, I my my degree is actually in adult education and in social educating for social responsibility, uh, but then I promptly took a job at a nature-based preschool, um, and fell in love with teaching kids. That's and so cool. that that I think helps my ability to k- try and be succinct and homing in on the points because they don't have the patience to listen to a monologue. (laughs) Um, And so I worked in uh, nature-based education with kids ages two years old through fifth grade for um, nine years. And then I became uh, the executive director of a nonprofit nature-based school for six years. Um, And that's what I did before I came to Artemis. That was very cool. Yeah. So did you grow up hunting, fishing, outdoor stuff? So I, uh, my father was a hunter. Okay. Um, In Michigan, hunting has a different culture than it does out here in the West where I live in Montana now, where it was this one week every fall where my dad and my great uncle and my grandfather would go deer hunting. And so it was a part of my life, but it wasn't a part of our daily existence. Okay. Uh, so I didn't go. I We would fish occasionally. We would um, uh, go spinner rod fishing and, and catch catfish. And my first trout I ever caught was with a marshmallow. <laughs> But, nice. but again, it was uh, it was something we did on vacations. It wasn't right, yeah. a part of our lifestyle. Um, so no, I didn't grow up hunting, but I grew up outside. Um, I we camped a lot. We um, hiked a lot. Uh, for my senior year of high school, we took a week long trip to Isle Royal. Um, Where's which that? In, it's in Lake Superior okay. in Michigan. It's this beautiful um, island that has uh, lots of hiking and it's like non motorized. So the entire thing is a National Park. I think I'm pretty sure it's a national park. We'll say it's a national park. <laughs> we'll no one's here to correct park, us. National right? Um, and uh, it has. Uh, it's just beautiful. It's just stunning, right That's in the middle cool. of Lake Superior. Um, so that was always a part of my life, which is, which is, you know, f- I've always um, had a connection to nature and to being outside. That's always been an important. Um, it's always been an important aspect of how I take care of myself and and how I. Um, connect with the world around me and with my place uh, and you know I can I've been a naturalist my whole life I was a I was a, a nature-based educator I love flowers I love birds um, all of that but I didn't start hunting and fishing um, until I moved to Montana 10 okay. years ago and so I started fishing um, pretty soon after I moved here and then I started hunting uh, about five years ago are you a bait or fly fisherman I'm a fly fisherman yeah cool yep yeah, I that I, ident- I identify with that more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
I think we all start off bait fishing just because it's, you know, you just hand the kid the rod. Mm-hmm. But um, I've been exposed more and more to fly fishing since I've been in Montana. And in, for me, it's a much, it's more of the experience that I want to have. Yeah. So. I've enjoyed um, the, the figuring it out part of it, right? Oh, it's, yeah. a, it's a huge puzzle and every day is a huge puzzle. Yep. I've enjoyed that aspect of it a that's, lot. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So going back to when you were a kid, you know, the guys would go hunting. Mm-hmm. Did <laughs> did you notice that? I'm just kind of curious, like, did that catch your attention or is that something that you just kind of accepted as, you know, normal? That's it's something I accepted as normal. Um, you know, had I asked to go, my dad would have taken me. Like, cool. there's no doubt about it. Um, I didn't know to ask. Yeah. And I think the reason I asked that question is because I don't know that the families where that was the case, I, I say that because I didn't grow up in a hunting family. Mm-hmm. And so it just wasn't something that I was exposed to. But as I've talked to more people, I don't know that it was necessarily a malicious thing per se. Yeah. I think it was just kind of what people did. doesn't make it right. doesn't make it okay. But I'm just curious. And yeah. it's always interesting to ask, like, were you aware of that or not? Mm-hmm. Um, when and did I you kind of become aware that that was, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I had, you know, I grew up with, um, uh, I have two sisters and so okay. and my you know that's it's all girls and I think cool. my dad tried with my oldest sister I'm the youngest uh, to take her out and they went rabbit hunting I've heard the story a lot I went <laughs> they went rabbit hunting um, and you know it 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 didn't go well because sure. the rabbit was injured and it started mm. wailing and that 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 uh, impacted both my sister and my father oh, yeah. <laughs> and so he's like I'm not I'm, I don't I don't want to experience that again um uh, so I didn't, when I was growing up, he, it's not like he took somebody else out and not me. Right. Um, none of us went out. Uh, we, and, and none of us knew really, like I said, to ask to go out. Yeah. So I, I didn't, I don't know that I, I think I didn't become aware of it until I started hunting. Um, because again, I know had I asked, he would have taken me, um, and so I, I didn't become aware of that dynamic when I was growing up of, of I didn't even know to ask until mm-hmm. after I'd asked, if that makes any sense. No, it totally does. Yeah. Um, Cause I've, I've asked that same question to other female friends of mine and they were either, they were, it's a spectrum, right? You, mm-hmm. Some were aware of it and they're just like, eh, whatever. And then others were hyper aware of it and it, and it really didn't sit well with them. And so it's just, it's interesting as we talk about changing this culture of equality in the hunting and outdoor space and and how do we provide how do we make it okay for people who are interested to say hey like i'd like to go mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's interesting to see from people you know kind of in in my generation what we what we had so that we can learn from that and share you know new information for people coming up in it and i think a huge part of that is is sort of one of the things artemis is working towards is that you know i didn't know that i could do that because i didn't see any women doing that uh, uh okay. you know I, like none my mom didn't do it um none of the other women in my family did it none of my friends did it mm-hmm. uh i didn't see that and so it didn't even cross my mind that it was something i could do yeah um and so and so that's changing um, absolutely and 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 the whole hunting and angling community is working to change that yeah um and artemis is here to 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 hold up those women and say look she's amazing you can do this too yeah 
So that's a perfect segue into what Artemis is. And I think a good place to start is at the beginning. So where did Artemis, what was the inspiration for Artemis and, and when did it begin? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the inspiration for Artemis, uh, the origin story, is that it started with Aaron Kindle, um, who works for the National Wildlife Federation. He's the um, senior sporting manager for the Western work that National Wildlife Federation does. I don't think that's his official title, but it's <laughs> as close as I'm going to get. Um, and so he's worked in sporting conservation for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he's also uh, just a, a really observant, um, thoughtful, big picture person who noticed that there was a really strong, really powerful voice missing in yeah. this conversation. Uh, and it was uh, women hunters and anglers advocating for conservation issues and so he he worked really hard to um to fight to get artemis up and running uh, and then recognized that he's probably not the best leader for such a movement <laughs> and so he brought together uh sportswomen from across the west as co-founders um and so the, you know there's women all from you know south dakota all the way down to new mexico uh who are very um very capable and competent hunters, anglers, conservationists, and they came together for a strategic planning session where they set the tone and the mission and the values for Artemis. And that was in uh, June of 2017 is when it launched. Um, And then one year later, June of 2018, they hired me um, as the as the program manager, and I was the first full time staff dedicated specifically to Artemis work. Prior to that, it was all volunteer run based on what the co-founders were willing and able to do, uh, which is amazing. I think given the growth that we had in that first year is that yeah. it was volunteer run. Um, and then again, since I've been on this last year, uh, we still rely a lot on those volunteers uh, from our advisory council, from our co-founders, and now from the ambassador program that we have. That's cool. Yeah. And I feel very fortunate that when I started my career in conservation, it was at the same time I was hired in June of 2017. Nice. And one of the first groups I was exposed to was this new group called Artemis. And a lot of the, the other conservationists that I was running, rubbing elbows with and running with were people like Alexis Bonagoski, yeah. Jesse Johnson, Kathy Hadley. And I was, it was a great integration to be around all these incredible humans who were doing great conservation work and who were starting this awesome organization to help elevate a, a severely underrepresented voice in the conservation community. Yep. And to do it with such with such grace and yep. such like on point. Oh. Yeah. You and I talked about this offline about how Artemis has nailed the messaging. Mm-hmm. Where do you think the ability to do that has come from? From them, uh, from the the co-founders uh, who started it, which uh, as Marcus said it includes like, you know, includes Kathy Hadley and Alexis Bonagoski and Jess Johnson and Maggie Human and um, Christine Gonzalez from New Mexico and it was others that I'm forgetting, but it comes from this amazing yeah. group of women who who came together and they, um, you know, they they prioritize really important things. They prioritize inclusion, uh, and I think that's important when you're talking about uh, focusing on an effort that's that's for women, right? It, yeah. In in this larger hunting community, we want to elevate and amplify women's voice. We don't want to separate them from the voice of the larger hunting and angling community. Right. So so inclusion has been a part of that right from the beginning. Um, and then you have like conservation 
first mindset when it comes to hunting and angling. Uh, they 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 really grounded that tone and continue to ground that tone with the with the intentional language that we use when we're talking about the work that we do, um, and 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 the, you know what what we don't talk about in the work that we do is also very intentional. Yeah, um, we were talking about this also offline at breakfast that to me. I don't care where knowledge comes from. I don't care where goodness comes from. I don't care where kindness and love and all these other positive things come from. I don't care if it comes from a man or mm-hmm. a woman or however you choose to identify it. It doesn't matter. We just need more of that stuff in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the thing that I think. And I've been fortunate that during my time in conservation, there has been this shift. But looking back historically, it makes me sad because I feel like previous generations really missed out on all these varying perspectives and voices and maybe we could have not made some of the mistakes that we've made had there been a broad spectrum of people at the table sharing their insights and knowledge and experience and so Mm -hmm. I'm just super excited that that there is an organization like Artemis that is bringing those voices to the table. That's I think that's been one of the most interesting and most exciting things that I've discovered since I took over on this job is that you have and and have had for decades these incredible incredibly passionate knowledgeable um, biologists and scientists and conservationists and uh, women who have been doing this work for decades and just not talking about it Mm -hmm. Um, and and finally they have um, a platform where they can be heard and 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 i say that not in like they're not most of the women that we work with have very little ego involved in this they yeah almost zero yeah it's the message that matters um and and it's 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 a pleasure to learn from them and with them well and i think uh that artemis is really lucky to have you because your vision and your leadership has really taken this this organization and and just catapulted it like way way further into the stratosphere than i think any of us thought it would be um two years down the road what made you want to apply for the job yeah so um i like i said i started hunting about five years ago uh and it was it again it was like another one of those life-changing experiences Mm -hmm. that i i i i say that i i grew up with nature i grew up loving nature i thought I knew what it meant to be a part of nature. And then I started uh, hunting and it blew that perspective completely out of the water, just changed it, changed the way I related to the natural world, uh, changed the way I related to the life cycle that we are all a part of, changed the way that I felt about the 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 situation we find ourselves in right now with the, with the with the development and the the ecosystem and the habitat struggles that we're having um uh, and i wanted more people to have that experience yeah uh, and and so i started in missoula um with a friend of mine a company that focused on it was a business that focused on mentoring and educating women hunters uh and so a lot of it was talking to women who are in that fine space where they think they might want to but they're not sure right and so creating (laughs) a safe space to talk about okay what are what are your barriers what are you afraid of what's holding you back let's talk about that in a super honest way and then let's go walk through the woods together um and from there uh about a year after 
uh, we started that initiative, the Artemis position opened up, and um, I just I just knew, you know, I just knew that that was what I wanted to do next, and I feel really fortunate um, that I got the job. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. It it seems like it was one of those things that was meant to be because you like I said you're a perfect fit for it. Thank you. What are some of the things that you guys are working on right now? Yes. Um, so I think one of the biggest challenges that I face, uh, given the growth that we have experienced mm-hmm. and the um, energy that is around Artemis, is how to. Uh, ride that wave intelligently and make good, smart growth choices, uh, so so that we're able to um, meet the efforts that we do with with the support and the relationship focus that we want. So gotcha. so we're right now we're doing a lot to to work towards that growth effort um, in the best way that we can given the resources that we have. So that's talking about we do, you know we implemented the ambassador program, which is the, those volunteer leaders um, in the areas that we do a lot of work on who can help do those on the ground events and build those face-to-face relationships. So we've got that in place. We're working on kind of fleshing that out. How can we better support them to do the work that they do? How can they feel more empowered um, to engage with that community? And then like I mean, those we have that's maybe three people per state, and these states are big. So, how can we? Uh, what's the next step from there to engage communities and volunteer leaders and create community? Right. Um, and again, intelligently, um, supportively, because we want to be able to offer. We don't just want to like implement this and say, you know, here's the deep end, have fun. We want to be able to offer them the support that that will help them be successful. Uh, and so, so we're launching a few trial programs uh, to flesh that out and see what works and what doesn't in the hopes that we can uh, soon do it nationally on a bigger scale. So, so we're doing that. Um, and then we're also doing uh, a series that we um, are calling the Go Confident series. So there's Go Confident in the Wild, Go Confident on the Water, and Go Confident as an Advocate. And we're doing the first one of those series is Go Confident in the Wild, and it's going to be offered in July in Missoula. And it's a six nights class. Um, It's like a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for two weeks in a row from six to eight that focuses on uh, helping women gain confidence in their backcountry wilderness skills so they can go out on their own, so they can take other women out. So it deals with, um, you know, there will be some like firearm safety. Um, We'll do like a casting clinic. We'll have, um, but then we're going to delve into uh, wilderness first aid and fire safety and campfire cooking and orienteering and some of those higher level backcountry skills to give women the confidence they need. That sounds awesome. I think that'll be a really... Um, well attended mm-hmm. program. I think people, I think there's a need for that because honestly, as someone that didn't grow up in the outdoor space, that was my biggest concern is, can I do this? Mm-hmm. If, if there's no one else to go with me, or even if I go with someone else, they might be less experienced than me. They might not know this or that. And, uh, can I do it with confidence? Am I, um, uh, capable enough to have the adventures that I want to have. So I think it's really awesome that you're empowering people to be able to have the type of adventures that uh, they want to have. Mm-hmm. Also provides that opportunity to um, 
you know, part of that will be uh, conservation. Like, here's the history of conservation in in 45 minutes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> here's uh, here's like a, a 101, an advocacy 101 about how you can get engaged and how you can be effective. Uh, and so, obviously, with everything that we do, that's a that's an important component. And so that gets yeah. and then also, you know, that's twofold, right? We're we're by offering those classes, we're we're giving those women those skills, but we're also creating that community of support. Absolutely. Do you think it's more intimidating for people to go into the field or onto the water or to be advocates? All three. All three. I think it's equally intimidating for all three because there's, uh, you know, I think each environment has its own set of unknowns um, that act as barriers. And in each of them also, to a certain extent, has been defined for us. Right. We haven't had the opportunity to define them for ourselves. Uh, and so... I think it's I think it's equally difficult for all three. And I think it's so valuable that you're teaching people how to advocate because I think they want to. Mm-hmm. They do care about these things. They wouldn't be coming mm-hmm. to your workshops and to your classes and following you on social media and signing up for your email list if they didn't care. Yeah. It's just a matter of, well, what do I do with this yeah. passion? Yeah. And I think one thing that I'm learning too is 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 it's a little bit like the aspirational marketing in the hunting mm, and fishing yeah. industry, right? It's like we've got an idea of, of, of what it means to be a hunter and an angler that is somewhat based in reality. Yes. And so th- <laughs> I think there's, there's aspirational advocacy too. Like we have an idea of what it means to be an advocate, but that's a really complex term and it can mean anything. Yeah. Um, and so let's break it down and, and figure out what it means to you. And so that's one of the things that I really enjoy doing is like, you know, it, it, it can mean, and at some point we hope that it means, you go to your legislature and you sit down with your representatives and you talk to them about why this issue is important to you. We do hope that at some point it means you go to a committee hearing um, and you state your case. That's like advocacy 501. You know, let's talk about advocacy 101. Yeah. Um, and, and figure out what it means to you, uh, where your passion is, um, what you're capable of at this point in your life. Um, and just really breaking that down. So people like it's women in particular, I think I come across it a lot. It's like they, they, if, even if they love, uh, fishing, they hesitate to call themselves an angler, Mm. right? It's like, you know, I, I fish every once in a while, but I'm not an angler. And we, we have, it's, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, well, I, I vote every once in a while, but (laughs) I'm not a conservation (laughs) advocate. It's like, you know, yes, you are. Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah, it's a matter of meeting people where they're at Mm -hmm. and not asking people to be anything more than what they already are. Mm -hmm. Not everybody can be a Randy Newberg, Mm -hmm. and that's fine. I have people come up to me all the time and say, oh, man, I I really appreciate what you do. I just I wish I could do that. Like, I get paid to do this. I have the time. Like, you have a full time job, three kids. You're trying to get out in the field and go hunting like if, if all you can do is sign your name onto a couple of the emails that we ask you to, mm-hmm. that's huge. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be the next Randy Newberg or, or whoever the conservation is. is. And I think that for, um, yeah, for Artemis, one of the things I think you guys are doing really well is just meeting people where they're at and not asking them to be anything more than what they already are. Just bring what you have to the table and that's good enough. I yeah. think that's really smart and, and really, um, really compassionate of you all. And I think, it, you know, I think it's like that's where the cultural shift happens too. Yep. Uh, it's, it's, that's where the rubber hits the road. We're, we want 
those kitchen table conservation conversations to happen. We want people who are educated about the issues talking about them knowledgeably with the people that they love and care about. Yeah. Um, and we want those the, the conservation ethos to impact the decisions you're making in the field. And that comes in when you're choosing, you know, non-lead ammunition. It mm-hmm. comes in when you're when you're choosing whether or not that's an ethical shot. It comes in when you're when you're when you're narrowing in on what region you want to hunt in based on the um, you know the quality of the habitat and the game that's available there it that's what we want you know that will that will do so much more for conservation um, as as a cultural priority um, and as sort of that third rail in politics is if yeah. everybody approaches it with 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 n- understanding of the issues and a conservation ethos in the field What's your vision for Artemis down the road? Where do you hope to take this pl- or this organization? Mm. Uh, so, you know, I mean, that's an interesting, like the ultimate goal of Artemis is that Artemis is no longer necessary, right? <laughs> ideally. I see what you're saying. You know, it's like yeah. where our goal is to elevate the voice of, of women in the hunting and angling community and in conservation. That's not, that's not something that we want to perpetuate forever. At some point, we want to not be necessary. <laughs> so, so the goal is to um, to just to to get equal footing in in the good work that's happening. Yeah. Well, that would be incredible. I think there will always be a space for you guys. I think there that Artemis will be around for a long time, and I think you'll just evolve. Mm-hmm. I mean, eventually we'll get we'll get rid of all this crap that we're having to fight against all yeah. the time and you'll fill a different space. There'll always be a need. Yeah. Figure out what that is. Yeah. One <laughs> of my favorite, one of my favorite mottos lately is, um, hypocrisy is progress. Okay. Explain that. Break that down for me. So, um, I think anytime you're trying to introduce change into a community or a culture or mm. an organization, uh, there comes a point where, um, you're, where, things get really hard because those first steps are the easy steps. I mean, I say that not lightly, like they're not easy. You took that first step. That's really important. Um, But those first steps are the people who are open to that and willing to take those steps. Those are the easy steps. It's the, it's the fourth, fifth, sixth step where, where now we're in it together and we have to start grappling with these really difficult issues. Yeah. And, and, uh, and people have to change the way that they're doing things. And, and, and that's not easy. And you're not always going to be consistent in the efforts that you make. Sometimes you're going to be hypocritical uh, because you want to, but, um, or you think it's important and. Yes. Uh, and so, yeah. so hypocrisy is progress because you're having those conversations and you're, and you're struggling with those concepts and you can't get stuck there, right? Don't right. get stagnant in the, hypocr- in the hypocrisy. Um, but when you're grappling with those issues, it's proof that you've gotten to the point where those issues need to be grappled with. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else should we know about Artemis? What haven't I asked you that you wished I had? Um... That is an excellent question. I, uh, you know, I think one thing that I would like if, if people who are listening, two things, people who are listening, uh, if you, uh, want to get involved, um, reach out to me. I think at this point in the, 
way Artemis is operating, the the most you can do and the best that you can uh, contribute to our efforts is to start creating that community in your backyard. Yeah. And, you know, have a happy hour where you invite women hunters and anglers to socialize because those are where those relationships start to happen. Absolutely. Um, and then from there we can we can move on to other things. Um, and then, you know, I get a lot of, of uh, questions from men who are supportive of, of more female involvement in this conversation. Um, and, and we love that. And we, like I said, it's a partnership that we want to um, support women to feel confident partaking in. Um, and, and, you know, I get a lot of questions like, are men welcome at the events that we hold? Um, are men, you know, welcome in the conversations that we have? And the answer to that is always yes always yes you know we uh, like understand that if you attend an event it's going to be run and led by women and the conversation is probably going to be different than a conversation that you're used to but you're welcome there just as we're always welcome at the events that you guys do i mean we've never felt unwelcome it's just an environment where we may be a little bit out of our comfort zone depending on how familiar we are with it and so know that if you come to our events you may be a little bit out of your comfort zone but you're always always welcome and i think we need to get I think, I think progress happens when we're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. When, if we're comfortable, that's not a sign of progress. Absolutely. So I would encourage any guys that want to, if there's an Artemis event nearby you, go and learn, go and hear, like put, put your listening ears on folks and <laughs> just, <laughs> yep. just listen to what people are saying. The first Artemis event that, that we co-hosted between Artemis and MWF it changed my life. Like I was hearing things and some of it was heartbreaking. Some of it challenged some of my preconceived notions. Some of it was hysterical (laughs) and a little uncomfortable for me to hear, but most, most of it was just very eye opening and it really kind of changed my paradigm and and helped me. So I would encourage people to do that. It's definitely worth doing. So thank you for sharing about Artemis. It's an incredible organization. Uh, anybody who wants to be a, a, a member, definitely go do it. Um, we'll have links and everything, the website, uh, signups, all that will be in the show notes. So check that out. You ready for some rapid fire questions? Well, see, I don't do well with rapid fire questions. Oh, we'll come see. on. <laughs> all right. These are, these are pretty easy. Pancakes Kay. or waffles? Oh, pancakes. Okay. Uh, what, if we were to look at your iTunes or Spotify or whatever, what's your most played song that you have on there? Oh, geez. Um, What's the one you're rocking out to right now? What's the one I'm rocking out to right now? That is an excellent question. Um, see, I told you I'm not good at the rapid fire. That's okay. It's <laughs> like, pull it up. Um, <laughs> right now, what I've been stuck in my head for like the last week is Rod Stewart's If You Think I'm Sexy. <laughs> 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 I wouldn't, like, I'm not proud of that. That's okay. Necessarily, but that's what's been stuck in my head for the last week. Okay. So <laughs> I'll, in the, in the spirit of candor, the one that's been playing a lot for me is Old Town Road, nice. the, w- the new song that just came out. Uh-huh. I'm embarrassed to say that because it's ridiculous. <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, the hook in that is ridiculous. Um, but that's that's mine. Um, okay, winter or summer? Oh yes. Yes. I can't choose. Okay. Yep. You have to choose though. Do I have yeah, to? Yeah, I'm making you choose. Oh man. Um. I guess I guess I'd go with summer because if I, w- I wouldn't live somewhere where it was winter all the time, I Kay. may live somewhere where it was summer all the time. Sweet. Uh, TV shows or movies? Uh, TV shows. 
Amen. Mm-hmm. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Uh, do you have any dogs? I do. I have a 12-year-old uh, Dutch Shepherd named Nico. That's cool. Yeah, she's a good girl. Hey, Nico. <laughs> um, are you a morning person or a night owl? I am a morning person. Hardcore morning person. <laughs> Is there anybody that can testify to that? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> a few people. <laughs> a few people have been really annoyed with me in the morning, for sure. Uh, Burger King or McDonald's? Um, Wendy's. Ooh. I need to add that. Okay. <laughs> and finally, how do you say this word? <laughs> caramel. <laughs> That's wrong. You fail. <laughs> it's caramel. <laughs> not in Michigan it's uh, not that's oh yeah. yeah no that's true yeah yeah okay um what makes you a great conservationist Ooh, um you know I think I think I think my experience as an educator is one of the things that makes me a great conversationist com- conservationist and a conversationist Both, yeah um <laughs> Uh, because one thing that taught me was that uh, in my favorite David Sobel quote is you can't you have to teach somebody to love something before you can ask them to save it and so I think keeping that mm. in the in the background of my mind and everything I do is 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 one of my strengths as a conservationist nice yeah if you could send one message back to your younger self what would you send don't worry about it I love that why <laughs> would that why would that be the message you would send um, it took me uh, most of my 20s and 30s to own my space mm, yeah. um, because of the concern I had about what was happening and who was around me and I think we would all be a lot better off if we worried more about um, our own happiness instead of what others were thinking Yeah. and now that I'm in my early 40s I feel I feel grounded in that and more secure in that. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. All right. Got one last question for you. And I ask this a lot, and it's it's something that I'm always amazed by the answer. But what is one action that everyone listening should take right now? Take a kid outside. Why? Why is that your? <laughs> why is that the thing? Um. Again, because uh, y- because y- we need that love of nature, and we need that um, recognition of how much joy it brings us as as animals, right? Mm-hmm. As humans, yeah. as as a species, yeah. um, how important that connection is to our health and to our happiness. Um, and and you know, we're fighting the good fight now. It's not going to end when we're gone. So let's let's take a kid outside and make sure that they have that same awareness and that same connection. Cool. I love it. Marsha, I just want to recognize you for creating space for others, for putting yourself out there, for coming on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's this been a pleasure. Lot, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, guys, seriously, go support Artemis. It's an o- incredible organization. Any final thoughts before I let you go? Nope. Thanks cool. so much. This was fun. Thank you for coming on. And until next time, guys, safe travels. Hey friends, me again. Just a quick reminder that if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you prefer. See ya.